job. Nice play by Ramsey. Three on two. Trying to split the middle. Here's the pass to Gary. Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. This show is created to give a voice to former pro players and personalities, allowing them to share some of the greatest stories this game has to tell. So let's take a trip to the heart of the classic hockey universe and celebrate the history of the game with the select few who actually lived it. Episode 65 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast features 14-year NHL pro and captain of the Buffalo Sabres and Detroit Red Wings, Danny Gare. In this episode, Danny takes us through his youth in Nelson, B.C. to the rough-and-tumble junior days in Calgary, right through his outstanding NHL career in which he twice scored 50 goals, played in two NHL All-Star games, and was selected to Team Canada in the 1976 and 1981 Canada Cup tournaments. An undersized and scrappy winger with a wicked wrist shot, Danny is a member of the Buffalo Sabres and BC Hockey Halls of Fame, and his number 18 is one of six Sabres numbers to be retired by the team. Danny remains an integral part of the Sabres family, and he's also a partner in a revolutionary synthetic ice product, Can Ice. Can Ice is a synthetic ice surface that looks and feels and performs just like real ice, indoors and out. Endorsed by Hockey Canada, Can Ice Synthetic Ice is perfect for any hockey player or figure skater looking to be the best they can be and have fun doing it. Now, Can Ice gives young skaters a synthetic ice service on which they can play 365 days a year. In these days of expensive and scarce ice time, Can Ice Synthetic Ice lets kids lace up the skates and go anytime they want. For more information on Danny Gare and Can Ice, you can find that in the show notes. Just a reminder, the home base for the show is ProHockeyAlumni.org and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Pro Hockey Alumni. Thank you for all the great comments and ratings you've left for us on iTunes. I read them all, and they serve as a great source of inspiration. Your reviews and ratings also make the show more visible to hockey fans around the world and have helped make the PHA podcast become one of the most highly rated hockey shows in the U.S. and Canada. Now, let's talk classic hockey with number 18, Danny Gare. Well, he's a 14-year NHL veteran and certainly one of the most respected players of his era. Two-time 50-goal scorer, two-time Team Canada member, two-time NHL All-Star, a member of the Sabres Hall of Fame, the BC Hall of Fame. And his number 18 is in the rafters in Buffalo's Key Bank Center. When you think of our guest, the words that come to mind, in my opinion, are toughness, 
grit, talent, and leadership. And we're thrilled to have him today, number 18, Denny Gare. Thank you, Mark. It's good to be on your show. Um, I'm um, looking forward to chat with you about some olden days, but also some new things that are happening in my life. So thanks for having me on. No question. You've got some real exciting stuff going on now. We're going to take a step back, though, because it is a little bit related as well. When you look back growing up in Nelson, British Columbia, and we've you're our first BC guest since we had uh, Joe Watson on from Smithers uh, a few weeks back. But you grew up in a hockey family. Your dad, Ernie, highly respected senior hockey player and then administrator, coach, etc. Your two brothers, obviously hockey players, and went on to uh, careers in hockey outside of playing. And of course, yourself making the National Hockey League. So, what's the youth hockey growing up gear uh, situation like as far as hockey is concerned in Nelson, BC in the 1960s? Well, um, it was fun. Uh, I, I, um, I, I look back at it, it was obviously uh, our family. Dad played for the senior team, the Nelson Maple Leafs, and dad, um, you know, Married my mom, Cassie, who worked at the Bank of Montreal in, in Nelson and raised six kids and three boys and three girls. The three girls were figure skaters and the boys were hockey players. So we were a skating family. I mean, we all enjoyed and loved skating. I mean, obviously, the hockey part was, um, for me, you know, playing minor hockey in Nelson, enjoying, you know, walking down to the rink and carrying your bag. And there were a lot of hills there, so it helped my conditioning a lot, Mark. <laughs> right. So, uh, but um, no, it was it was a really good time. Nelson's a real pristine little area. Uh, people there pretty much knew everybody. Um, I go back there in the summers. Mom's still around, and uh, my sisters and brothers hang out in, in that area in the summertime. So we get together, but. I guess the big part of my growing up was obviously my dad being my mentor. Dad understood the game very well when he went back after um, playing uh, senior hockey. He became a athletic director at Notre Dame University in Nelson. It was a small, redemptorist Catholic uh, run by the the priests, but it it really was a, a real you know gem to have in Nelson. And Dad started the first athletic scholarship program. I believe it was 61 where education and athletics could come together. And he brought in hockey players from all through Western Canada to give them the opportunity to have a scholarship to continue their, you know, education and play hockey and enjoy the game. So that was really, I, I got to be stick boys for those teams and saw some great players like Murray Owen, who was the first scholarship player, um, Carl Chiwaka, Brian Lefley. I mean, that number of guys that I was, that I was, you know, I looked up to, and that's really all I wanted to do was play for the Nelson Maple mm-hmm. Leafs. But, you know, watching them train, watching them work out, all those things pushed myself along with my father, telling me, you know, I had to do so many things to, to improve. I was small. I had to work out my upper body. You know, I had to shoot three, 400 pucks a day. I did that underneath our sun deck at home. I, you know, learned how to box. He was, he felt that I was, again, a, a little guy, but I could hit a you know a heavy bag, a speed bag, which helped me down the road to to protect myself and and to get some room on the ice. So Dad was really you know an integral part of that, along you know with our family. I mean we 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 used to go out 
and play shinny hockey out on the ponds and outside of Nelson. And the girls would, you know, have their skating and doing what they were doing at figure skating. Mom was always around helping them out. So mm-hmm. it was a great area to grow up. And um, a lot of pretty good hockey players in a little town came out of there. Greg Adams, Pat Price, Mike Lawton that played in the National Hockey League. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was really the 60s that were good times for me. Right. And we're going to talk a little bit about that ability to play pond hockey. Uh, with something very similar later on in our interview. But when you talk about well-known hockey people and in some of the discussions I've had with both Mike Rogers, uh, Joe Watson, right? I wasn't really aware of Scotty Monroe. I'd hear his name all the time, but right. a very highly respected person who comes into your life as he's the coach of the Calgary Centennials and the Western Canadian Junior League. And so you make the uh, the trip up there. So how did how did you first get in contact with him? How did he first see you? And how did you become a centennial? Well, again, going back um, to Nelson uh, is where I played in a Bantam Championship team. We we were like the Bad News Bears, Mark. We uh, we we had to travel back. In British Columbia, is a pretty, you know spacious province you know it's 1500 miles long and then it's you know you get to go anywhere you've got to get in the car and drive and we didn't have like as they quote quote call it now travel teams you know in mm-hmm. with kids today and so what we did we'd have to play off against different cities in our area in order to compete for the championship like a state championship in the states you know this is a provincial championship right so the first the first team we played was Castlegar, which was about 30 miles. And then we played Trail. Trail always had great teams. The Trail uh, minor hockey system was great. And then we beat them. And then we had to go to Kimberly, and we had to build it. Kimberly was about, Trail was about an hour. Kimberly would have been, this was every other weekend. Kimberly would be about, Kimberly Cranbrook area would be about three hours away from Nelson, so we'd stay uh, with Billets, and then we had to go all the way up to Prince George, which was 1,200 miles. We took a wow. week off school. We, yeah, it was pretty, and it was fun. I mean, we were with the team, and you really bond with your buddies, you know, your teammates, and the parents were all there. So then, finally, we won against Prince George, uh, the northern British Columbia. We had to drive all the way down to play the finals against Vancouver North Shore Winter Club, which was another 1,500 miles south. So um, in that regard, um it was, it was quite an experience. So what happened from that, winning that, uh, I got a, a bird dog, as they called them back in the day, a scout, okay, <laughs> nice. that watched you play. Asked, said, mentioned something to Scotty Monroe, who was at the time the, the, the owner and the general manager, part owner of the Calgary Centennials, which was a WHA team, tier one team. And they had a farm team in Kamloops, British Columbia, called the Kamloops Rockets that Joe, Joe Tennant ran, who was a, a real good coach at the time. And um, he'd heard about it. And my brother at the time was playing with the Vernon Lakers in Vernon in the BC Junior League. So I went over and I got to see a few games when I was 14. Or That's all I wanted to do next was never mind the Toronto, the, I should say the Nelson Maple. He says, let me play junior. Mm-hmm. That would be the next step. Okay. And I was all excited. So what happened is I get invited to uh, Kamloops to the 100 players in mid-August, okay? And I don't know, I mean, there were guys like Donnie Hay there, Garth Malarchuk, Clint's brother, there were guys that I never heard of before. So we had these 
little bit of a training camp, like a two-game total point series. We had teams matched up. And I ended up scoring four goals in each game. And it was like, wow, you know, I mean, I was so excited because I, I played well amongst, you know, your peers and the people that are trying to make, you know, these junior teams and so forth and so mm-hmm. on. So I, you know, I was excited about it. I thought I had a good camp and we drive back with my father to, from Kamloops, British Columbia. It's about a six hour drive to Nelson in the interior. And he didn't say a word. And I'm going like, what's going on here? Like, you know, I had a great, you know, but that's the way my father was. He was like, you know, we drive up the driveway into our house up the hill and he goes, you had an outstanding camp, but I'm waiting for this whole ride. <laughs> you know, I'm like, can you give me something? You know, like, and then he gets there and it was, you know, that's just the way his, you know, motivation was sometimes. And he goes, you got, you've got a great opportunity. You know, I said, dad, I'll, yeah, thanks. I really appreciate that. He says, but you got to keep working out. You got to keep doing this. You got to keep, I go, yeah, yeah. He says, I said, but when do I get to go to their camp, to Kamloops? He says, you know what? Let me tell you something. I talked with Mr. Monroe after your, your camp. He he wants you to go to the Calgary Centennials camp, not the Kamloops Rock. I said, Dad, I can't do it. He says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Just get ready and get prepared. So I went there. Mike Rogers and I were the only 17-year-olds at that camp, and we both made the team. And, you know, my first year um, out of midget hockey it would have been then. You know, so it was a really exciting. And Scotty really took me under his wing. Scotty Monroe, he was great. I mean, he was great to a lot of guys. And all those guys back then, like Patty Janelle and Bill Hunter, they were the builders of, you know, the Western Hockey League at the time. Um, Ernie Ernie Punch McLean. I mean, there were some great battles we had against New Westminster Bruins and the Edmonton Oil Kings. It was just, and I'd go home every summer and try to train and get ready to go. So I played there three years, and uh, Mike Rogers and Holland were, were great line mates my last year, and we had some, you know, it was just fun times, and Scotty was a, a, the major part of that. You're right. You had to, as a young man, I, you know, I've talked to various players who played out west in that era, Terry Ruskowski, Jerry Rollins, Dennis Sobchak, yeah. uh, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, and it was yeah. not for the... It was not for it was the... Tough. It was tough. Yeah. And so for yourself, um, that comes true. And if, So your very first game, you score, and then you run into Jack the Wolfman, McAlargy, in the second right. period. Uh, Talked a little, little bit about that. <laughs> well, it was funny. My first game, we're, we're in uh, Victoria, and, you know, you're all excited. I was 17 years old playing in the, in the night. Like, again, I, I making the team with Mike Rogers was awesome. I, I, I didn't know Mike that well, but, um, you know, and Scotty put us in the first game, and I scored a goal in, in, you know, in the first period. And I'm thinking, well, see, this is good. You know, I can, and I'm, you know, dangling around and I keep my head, my head down. And I get just decked, like spanked. My head was down by Jack McElhargy. And I, I remember my mom to this day has this picture in a scrapbook of the Victoria Times, okay? Jack hitting me. And the crowd is going, like, their faces are like, ah! And... <laughs> That's the way I felt when I got hit. I couldn't move. I had to uh, bearcat our trainer, Jim Murray, took me off the ice, got me off. I stayed two nights in the hospital, you know, I had a major concussion, throwing up, you know, sicker than a dog. Mm-hmm. And I missed like a week, you know, of, of games because of that. And then finally, I, I probably my first year, that's when Scotty used to start taking me upstairs. And I didn't play, I think I played like 55 games my first year. 
I had only 10 goals, but he really would sit down with me up in the press box every when I didn't play mm-hmm. and just say, this guy's doing, see what this guy's doing, watch how he does this, you know, just great stuff. And he was, he was a great, you know, uh, educator in that regard. Like he knew the game so well. And the next year in junior, I scored 44. And then the final year, which was my draft year, uh, Rogers, Mike Rogers and Jerry Hall, we were put together, I think the second year late in the season. And we came out guns loaded and I ended up, I think Mike had 140 points. I had a 127 points and I broke the record for most goals by a right winger that year. I made the all-star team. We had a great team and great group of guys. And I also, the thing that, <laughs> that I get reminded of once in a while, I broke the penalty minutes for a right winger. I had 238 penalty minutes. So right. in saying the fact that, you know, and that all came from my father getting me prepared about how tough the game was, even in the, and I found that out even in the NHL when I got to the NHL, but I'll never forget some of those road trips. You mentioned Terry Ruskowski, Tiger Williams, they were in swift current. I mean, those are some of the toughest buildings to go in on a minus 30 below. You just want to stay in bed. You didn't want to go. <laughs> oh, man. The Serious. I, and I, the same I, with the same with U.S. minister. They had, you know, they had, you know, they had stumped, they had tough guys. I mean, every team seemed to have three or four or five real tough guys. And I had to buy a battle with them all the time. So. Right. I, mean, I, I often, when I, when I talk to those guys and I talk about going in to play a, a Tiger Williams or, or uh, uh, Clark Gillies, yeah. guys like that. And right. You kind of, right. and for yourself, you're obviously a, and I'm a, a little guy. A, you're a little guy in the situation. So it's, you know, look, it, I look at myself and I'm that age, I'm 17, 18 years old and I'm, you know, traveling on a bus for eight hours and I'm going to yeah. this place. It's yeah. freaking cold as hell. And you got this team waiting for you and you know, it's going to be a battle. I guess that's, that's the question I, I ask players such as yourself who went through that. Talk about the fear factor at a young age yeah. uh, and being able to overcome that. That was a big part of overcoming. There were guys that couldn't deal with it. I mean, I mean, I played with guys that were more talented than me in my early years of junior that, you know, just didn't want to deal with that part of the game. And, and I get that, you know, I mean, I, I think the one thing is your, you know, again, was part of my father's, um, testinal fortitude or whatever he wanted to call it, uh, you know, being prepared, making sure, you know, that he, uh, I was tough enough to do, to walk into those buildings. And I felt confident enough that I could handle myself, you know, and, uh, but they came after me cause I was a scorer, you know, and the right. same thing happened in the NHL. They came after me. They knew they wanted to get me off the, out of the, out of, out of the, off the ice or out of the game. But I mean, I think once you do it, Mark, or a couple of not once you do it, but when it, when it, when you know, you can walk into arena, even though it, you knew you're what you're up against, you know, once you did it and accomplished it, the best was when you walked out of there and you won a game and you beat up somebody or you won a fight or whatever. That, that was the best feeling in the world to me anyway. So, yeah. Well, as you said, but it wasn't fun going into it. No, yeah, I, I can't. Fun. I can't imagine. I have a, a now sixteen-year-old son. I always picture myself him in that type of situation. I'd be a nervous wreck. But nonetheless, yeah. you yeah. Uh, you thrive in that situation. And in nineteen seventy-four. The Buffalo Sabres, a franchise that starts in 70-71, is making a, right. a string of tremendous draft choices. And they hit mm-hmm. again in round two in 1974 when they drafted Danny Gary. That that draft was a year they had lowered because of the WHA. 
Uh, so there, there were, right. uh, you know, there were more players uh, to be drafted, eligible to be drafted. I always, I have back then the draft was not a big production. So how did you hear about no. the draft selection? Well, you're right about the underage. Like I mentioned, Pat Price. Pat Price and I played like minor hockey together, and Patty was a real good junior player with Saskatoon Blades and. I mean, we were best buddies, and, and he had an outstanding career in junior, and he was going to go number one uh, with the Winnipeg, or I should say the Washington Capitals, and then the WHA came in. And I remember going back and forth with Patty um, through this because it, it really – he was a year younger than me, and my and they weren't drafting underage kids then, you know, uh, until the WHA did the draft, and Patty was number one overall, went to the Vancouver Blazers. And it was, I was just pumped and happy for him. And then that obviously pushed the NHL to go underage, what, three weeks after, you know, when their draft came up, which was normally in Montreal. So um, I, you know, that was a bit of a shock because everybody was saying, you know, the agent I had, well, you're probably going, to, you know, top, you know, whatever, in the first round and things like that or whatever. And then there were, uh, I think, 20 something teams then. And, Half of them were underage players. Like Lee Foglin was number, you know, what uh, no, number he was, but he was a, the first round pick for the Sabres that year. Mm-hmm. And I went second round and um, 29th pick. But, you know, I think the, the funny part, and I look back and, you, you know, I, I, it's funny. I was talking to Rob Ray and, and the Sabres. I do some work with them on some uh, stuff from broadcast once in a while. And we were talking about the draft. I think it was last year and Marty Baron was there and they were saying how they all went to the draft, you know, everybody, you know, how they go sit up in the stands and all that. What happened back in the day when I, I was mowing the lawn in my front yard (laughs) and uh, seriously. And my mom and I got the lawnmower going up and down these hills and, you know, sweating and grass all over me. And I get my mom's on the porch. She's like this. She's going, daddy, daddy. (laughs) I'm going, what, Mom? What? I could barely hear because the lawnmower's just, punch him like's on the phone. Punch him like's on the phone. So I turn the, thing, I turn the lawnmower off, and I run in, and I'm all sweating. Out. Hey, Danny here, he goes, hi, Danny, punch him like. We just drafted you in the second round. I'm going, oh, that's awesome. You know, and I'm, thanks. You know, we talked a little bit, and he says, we're going to talk to your agent, and hopefully, you know, we can get you signed. I know. Anyway, so that was that was my draft day. Yeah. That's funny. I th- talked to Dennis Hearn recently, who had a similar experience out mowing the lawn, and uh, found out yeah. he, was, he was an intro. And it's so different times, to be sure. But uh, one theme of your career is you don't waste any time making an impact so uh, 1974 you make the team and what is it like going to that first camp it's a team with a lot of good young players also some some veterans a team clearly on the rise what was your experience like in training camp in buffalo well actually the 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 training camp mark was in st Catharines, ontario and um i never got to buffalo i flew into toronto and drove down to st Catharines once i signed my contract and um i go there and we had rookie camp there were a hundred guys at rookie camp you know you know people uh, you know some guys that had played to the savers like larry mickey and um, people that are you know younger player all the draft picks obviously so they had a bunch of guys and then they cut it back real quick after about three or, I don't know, two weeks or whatever. And and then you go to the main camp when all the guys come in. And, um, you know, it was – I really liked because that year that 
Um, I was drafted my last junior year. I watched the Sabres play Montreal, and that was game six. I think they lost to the Canadians, but they were a quick, they were a quick, fast team. They had the French connection, obviously. They had guys like Jim Schoenfeld, Roger Crozier, an older guy, but in the Nets, played well for them. Um, you know, it was just a young team that was up and coming. And I thought, boy, what a nice fit that would be, you know, to, if I could make the team, you know. So go to training camp, really worked out hard that summer. You know, conditioning dad pushed me a lot in that regard because he always had the edge on conditioning and preparation. He always felt he'd get a jump on people early, right. you know, early in the season, early in games, whatever it was. And it was good for me. So I go into camp and I remember um, playing, you know, against Jim Schoenfeld, I remember he decked me behind the net one time in a scrimmage and I see this big red-headed guy coming down and grab my hand. He says, you all right, kid? And I go, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> he says, well, get up. Let's go at it again or somewhere. Let's, let's, you know. So there was just a good group of people. Uh, I mean, that team, you know, we went to the finals that first year. It was one of the best experiences in my life. I think I was close to a rookie of the year. I broke the record for points by a rookie in the playoffs so it was just a really first year was it was amazing and then scoring my first goal which was cool as hell too it sure was but before that you in an exhibition game with the philadelphia flyers now the flyers are coming off a stanley cup season dave schultz is en route to a 476 penalty minute season he's the most feared fighter in hockey and danny gare uh rookie decides to uh to uh, trade punches Uh with him in an exhibition game uh what was your thought process there well, it, you know, it's funny you say that because I just got roasted last year, last February, about a year ago, and Schultze came in for it, which was great. And it was a lot of fun. We raised a lot of money for my dad's scholarship program. But we talked about that. Um, I, I mean, I brought it up because I was funny. You know, you go in, and I went to Philadelphia the first time with Philly, and, and you know, we stayed at the Holiday Inn right next to the Spectrum, and it, Philly, you know, it was like, not to say a rough area down that broad street in that area, but it was, you know, not one of your nicer spots. So I couldn't sleep and Fogey had, Lee Fogan was my roommate and he had that nervous leg syndrome and his leg would be going a hundred miles an hour in the sheets. I just couldn't sleep. I was like, to hell with this. I'm going to shower and go over to the rink. So it was a spectrum and I'm trying to figure out how to get into the spectrum. You know, most rinks, they got the Zamboni area. It goes down. So. I didn't know where the hell, you know, how to get in. I did finally get into the rink. And and prior to the game, we had our farm team. Um, I think it was Cincinnati Swords playing the Richmond Robins. Okay, no one was in the rink, but they were having an exhibition game prior. And I went in, and I, I, right off the start, of the, they dropped the puck, and I'm standing next to uh, Rip Simonic, our trainer that's been there for years, and we're stopped, just kibitzing here back and forth and watching well, I see Fred Hunt, who I went to training camp with. His dad helped bring the team. To, it was his son, and they were friends today. And, and he starts a fight right off the face-off. And it was against um, Dave Schultz's brother, Ray Schultz. And I'm going, oh, this is interesting. And then they both get <laughs> kicked out. They had a bench-clearing ball. So they get kicked out. So I go to the dressing room and I see Freddie there and I go, what's going on? He said, ah, you know, whatever. I just want to get something going and, you know, whatever. Back in the day then you want to prove, you know, pre- you know, impress people or whatever. 
So I'm thinking about it, you know, and then I, you know, just taping sticks and farting around doing stuff in the dressing room. And, and then the guys start coming in and I don't say anything, you know, I'm just there. I'm getting dressed, ready to go out. Here we go out. They, this is the first game back in the spectrum, Mark, since they won the Stanley Cup the year oh. before against Boston, right? Mm-hmm. So this place rocking. They got Kate Smith singing. They got everything. This place is just, I mean, the spectrum was not an easy place to play, but so we line up. It was Don Luce, myself, and Craig Ramsey start the game against uh, Celeste, Clark, and Schultz. So Schultz is right next to me, and I don't know who I am. I mean, Dave Schultz, I am. I'm a, so I go down, and Puck goes in there, and I run him right to the end board. So the crowd goes, whoa. <laughs> and then he got pissed off, and he comes back. Now, he's, he, I could smell his breath coming back in our end because the puck coming out. I know he, he wants me so bad. So I turn left real quick, and he goes right, like it goes into the the boards like a fool. So now it's really bad. Now he's skating back up, and we're right in front of their bench. He jumps me, or we have a, a fight, and there's a bench-clearing brawl within the first 30 seconds. So I was like, you know, I could handle myself, but, I mean, this is the first game of my exhibition, you know, and whatever, and he's just screaming at me, you little, you know, whatever, in the penalty box, who are you, the new tough guy for the Sabres, you, you know, this and that. And I'm going, what is your name? What do they call you? I go, is it Hummer or Himmer? Or what is your name? Oh, he got all pissed. No, that's, yeah, that was my first exhibition game. That's funny. Though. We laughed about it later. Right. But uh, a little precarious uh, back in the day, of course, you're just a kid. And you, we, we, you referenced your first game against the Boston Bruins, of course, very memorable for uh, for a variety of reasons. But prior to that, of, right. course, of course, you had to actually make the team. And so you're in the exhibition season. You're right off the bat, you're, you're, you're starting with Don Luce and Craig Ramsey. Of course, we'll, we'll talk about that because that's uh, uh, one of the best lines of that, that era. But when did you find out or when did you realize that you were going to be a Buffalo Sabre? It was right, you know, I think that obviously the last exhibition game, we were moving camp from St. Catharines to Buffalo, and I've never been to Buffalo. I had, I mean, I've been like almost a month now in St. Catharines. And training camp, you know, it's a good place for, I love St. Catharines, a beautiful little town, and a lot of, really, Buffalo gets a lot of fans from the Canadian side, which is awesome to see in that area, Niagara Falls and Hamilton. But I get, I get uh, punch comes into the dressing room after, you know, one of our practices. He says, I want you to have coffee with me. Come on over here. He says, we're going to, we're going to keep you. And I go, yeah, I go, that's awesome. I go, you know, and he says, yeah. He says, so go look for, he brought Larry Carrier in too. He says, we're keeping you and Fogel and, and Morris Titanic at the time. Morris mm-hmm. um, was the number one pick the year before. So he said, Larry, I want you to take, you know, these guys in, get a, get a condo and, I want you to watch over him. Larry was great. Hawk was unbelievable. So, yeah, that's that's how I found out about it. And then my first practice, Mark, I'll tell you this story. I've never been to the auditorium in Memorial I mean, I saw some, you know, we had big rinks in Western Canada. But, you know, this rink was, was just, you know, it was, it was a neat rink because it was so, the, the, the seats just seemed to come over top of it. Yeah. You know, it was like. Right. It was amazing. And there were a lot of rinks like that. Boston uh, Garden was like that. The original Chicago Stadium was a bit like that. The Olympia, the original, you know, the older rinks. But, um, and so I said after practice, and I'm looking up like this in the oranges, you know, the 
I'm looking up up on. And I go, shit, I gotta go up there and then take a look at this after practice. You know, my first. So I walk all the way up to the top top seat in the oranges, and I sit there and I almost fell over because it was so steep. You know. Oh yeah. Going, I go to myself, boy, wouldn't this be neat to score a goal and see all these people cheer for you, something like that. So <laughs> it happened, you know, my first game pretty quickly, so it was kind of cool. Right, and you're in your first shift, and you're lining up. Of course, you're playing on a quote, I have to say quote, checking line, because it actually was very prolific. And so the notion of a checking line, to me, was always a third third and fourth line. Uh, you guys are the right. second line, and you're out there, and you're, again, you're, you're a hockey fan at the time, along with being a player, so right off the bat, you're facing off uh, you know, Wayne Cashman, Phil Esposito, Ken Hodge, uh, Bobby Orr, and... Uh, you guys yeah. uh, have an incredible night that night. What a way to start the season. But you get it started uh, with a goal, I believe, at 18 seconds of that game. Don Cherry makes his debut. So the goal, of course, is remembered right. even even further. But uh, how did that uh, How did that feel? Right, Like I said, you have a habit of scoring early and making things happen early. But this was kind of ridiculous. This was like, well, you know, for real early. You know, it... Again, I go back to my father, uh, my late dad, and dad would always say, if you're prepared. And, you know, I, I knew I knew when I played the game. Guys, you know, I didn't sleep a lot in the afternoon. I'd sleep for maybe a half an hour. But guys would be lethargic at the start of games. You know what I'm saying? Because they weren't ready to go. And I would splash water on my face if I had a night where I wasn't ready to go. I'd do whatever I could to drink a coffee, a couple coffees, just to get myself ready to go. Because I've always felt... Especially when we were on a checking line with Luce and Ramsey, and they were so good at so many things, um, was to jump on the top lines. Okay, we were like you mentioned that night. We checked Espo's line with Cash and Hodge, and then Bobby was uh, Bobby Orr was on the ice, and, uh, and it was like I wanted I wanted to ask for a friggin' autograph. That's the <laughs> way I was. I was like, these guys are are legends. Okay, they're legends, and I'm like. Wow, and now here I am, I'm lined up against him, and I'll never forget the puck came back. The Shoney, it came around the boards. Rammer took a shot and missed it, and I put it between the legs of the goalie. It wasn't cheesy. I think it was someone else. Um, uh, just, yeah, it Gilbert. 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 Yeah, it was, it was Gilly. So I, like, I, my, I just, like, couldn't believe it. And Rammer grabs the puck, and we go to the bench, and as you're right, it was Don Cherry, Don's first uh, inaugural game, and... <laughs> And, you know, I sat on the bench, and, then, you know, I'm sitting there and look up at those oranges, like I said before, and everybody, you know, was cheering. And I just said, well, maybe I belong, you know, because you don't know if you're going to play or make mm -hmm. it there. But, you know, we had a, I had three points, I think, that night. We beat them 7-4 or something. But it was a great start for, you know, the, uh, of a year that I said, and, and a career, but it was something I'll, I'll never forget. Bobby Orr broke his stick. He's broken over the the crossbar, and it was just one of those moments, uh, obviously, you never forget. But, um, yeah, I guess getting back to what your question was, getting started, it was just preparation. It was, you know, the night before I'd start preparing um, uh, for a game. It was trying to get, you know, going over the roster, figuring out who I'd be up against. And we checked Sittler's line, Lanny, you know, and Toronto and Tiger a lot. We checked, you know, Guy Lafleur's line. And a lot of those guys, you know, I didn't think we were prepared, ready to go, because they were just a given. They're starting the game. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, and they were, and they were good talent. I mean, they were talented people. So that is for sure. That was the edge that I I learned. Yeah. Yeah, and that continues. It though, so it's a it's a successful season for you. One of the top rookies, certainly in the league. The line's doing well. 
the French Connections yeah. in full flight, King Kong, Cora, Bill Height, Shoney back there yeah. on D. That yeah. team, again, I give Punch Emlack a, a hell of a lot of credit because right. that, that was a team that, again, was formed in 70-71. And it, before free agency and before liberal draft rules, you kind of had to do it. You had to get it done through the draft. Right. And uh, they, they certainly did. When you get into the finals, of course, you, you're playing Chicago. I think you might have even scored the first goal of that series against Tony Esposito. I, I scored the first goal in my first shot that series, too, against Tony Esposito. <laughs> my first shift. Yeah, I did. You're uh, right. And then, of course, in the next round, yeah. you scored the first ever uh, overtime goal for the Sabres uh, in, in a uh, game against the Montreal Canadiens. And all of a sudden, this team that's only been in existence four or five years is in the Stanley Cup Finals against the Philadelphia Flyers. You talked before about the experience of playing in Philadelphia in the exhibition season, but I wanted to get you amplify that a little bit. It's the early 70s, so fans, just to give perspective, uh, it's that era where the, the Flyers have ushered in the Broad Street Bullies. It's an intimidating place to play, and I've asked a couple of guys this. Just, you're going to, even though it's the finals and you're on par with them talent-wise, uh, what is it like? Did you feel like some players... Whether on your team or other teams, had a difficult time making that trip into the spectrum. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you've heard about the old Philadelphia flu, right? Uh, guys that played in the spectrum, the guys, teams that went in there, there were guys that would come up with the Philadelphia flu. We had guys on our team that did it. I mean, it was, yeah, it was intimidating. Probably the at that time, the most uh, maybe that place in the Boston Garden were the most intimidating buildings that I played in, as far as physicalness goes, mm-hmm. and crowds. Okay, the crowds were nuts. You know, like there were people screaming, "They're going to get you after the game." You know, whatever. But yeah, it was, and they had the team to back it up. I mean, that's you know, and it was that was you know the, definitely the Broad Street Bullies. And, and if you didn't show up, see, we never won a game there. We had a couple of real close games in the finals. I think one was 4-3 and 3-2. But the big reason, I'd say this, and I've always said this, the real reason we lost was because of Bernie Perrant. He was the he was the best, best player by far. I mean, he stood on his head. We couldn't, you know, and we were we were an offensive team. We had 630 goal scorers that year. It broke the league record. Um, so, I mean, I can get the intimidating side. I understand that. But, again, I, I give kudos to Bernie. So, yeah. No question. It, it wasn't was, funny. Yeah, no, he was at his absolute he, peak. Yeah, he was. He said to me, I saw him. In, I saw Bernie at a, at, a, at a golf outing, you know, after, you know, we both retired at a charity event. He said, Danny, that's the best I ever played. That's the best <laughs> I ever played. I said, yeah, I, can, I know. You played well, Bernie, you know. Right, and that's something. Sometimes that yeah. gets forgotten in these days. Again, we look at the Broad Street Bullies, the intimidation, which of course was a factor. You also had a lot of talent yeah. on the team, but of course they had yeah. the best goaltender. And but yeah. nonetheless, a, an incredible season. You personally proved that it's no fluke. You come out and have a forty-six goal year the next year in seventy-five, seventy-six, and you parlay that into being selected to Team Canada 76, which some people think might have been the greatest team ever assembled. Um, you could go on and on. I mean, you probably got 13 or whatever Hall of Famers on that team. You didn't get a lot of ice time in, in, the, in the actual series, but what was it like uh, to be part of, of that incredible group of uh, hockey players? It, it was a... I was the youngest player. Um, 
and I remember getting the call to go to it. Um, um, I was called a couple months prior, and then I, like, again, going back to my dad again, we worked out, we trained. I mean, he pushed me, pushed me, pushed me. So, I mean, we had, I think, how many players that went to that? 35 maybe guys that went there, and I happened to make the team as a top 20 or whatever. I was a rookie. I didn't play a lot. Um, but I got to, you know, be around. I'll never forget the first trip we went to was Ottawa on the plane, and Bobby Orr sitting in the front seat. And I, and I played against Bobby, obviously. Um, I scored my 30th goal my first year in Boston, and, he he was going down the elevator. He stopped the elevator. And he says, what are you doing? I says, oh, I'm just going back. He says, no, you're not. You're coming to beer with me, okay? So I said, okay. You know, that's the type of guy he was. Um, um, and then I get on the airplane. He goes, Danny, how you doing? I says, good, Bobby. Just sit down here next to me. And so I sit down next to him. It's Bobby Orr. Like he said, do mm-hmm. you need anything? I said, well, I don't know. I, I think I got everything. He said, no, do you need some suits? <laughs> You need a you need a rental car, you know, just stuff like that. It was just amazing. And then to have, you know, I mean, like you said, the Hall of Famers, guys like Lafleur, Savard, uh, Cornwall. I mean, it could go on and on. Phil Esposito, Bobby Clark. I mean, they were just the who's who of the best players. I was just so in awe still and a little gaga to be around them, but it really made me feel important enough to to work hard to be ready you know and to say that maybe I, i'm as good as some of those guys are you know because when you're young you're still always i don't say question yourself but when you're around those type of players it, it, it raises your bar and it mm-hmm. pushes you to another level and then i played in 81 again with um rick middleton and Lindsman. so those were like that was Back then, I, to be on that team for Canada was such a proud moment for me. And then Sittler scoring in overtime um, was was an amazing feat. And yeah, it was just just something that you you know you look back at that uh, when you see having the opportunity. I I I'd match that team as you said earlier with any of the greatest teams assembled. You know, there was the '87 Canada Cup team with Lemieux and Gretzky that was pretty was too shabby. <laughs> yeah, either, right. but, yeah. So, yeah, no, it was a pleasure and an honor to be on that team. In 1977, you become the captain of the Buffalo Sabres. Quite an honor. And do you recall how you had uh, how that all transpired, how you heard about uh, wearing the C? I do. Um, it was uh, Jim Schoenfeld was the captain prior to that. And Shoney was an outstanding captain, an outstanding player, a great teammate, um, just a warrior when he played. And um, I remember Marcel Pronobo uh, called us into his office, his coach's office, before camp that year. And unfortunately, Choney and Punch had some, you know, disagreements prior to that. And mm-hmm. and in the C, I think Punch took it off him late in the season or something, and that ticked off Shoney, and it would have done the same for me. But anyways... He calls us all in his office before camp starts. There was me, Gilbert, and and Choney, the three of us. And Gilbert sitting there. Gilbert was quiet. He didn't want any, you know, he was like, Marcel said to us, he wanted us all to be co-captains. And, I, and I, you know, I'm just sitting there listening. You know, I'm 23 years old or whatever. And Choney goes, no, I won't, you know, I won't be a co-captain. And, Marce, and then Joe Bear says the same thing. I, you know, Marcel, I don't want to be. He said Danny should be captain, mm-hmm. like this. He points to me. Wow. 
And Shoney goes, yeah, Danny should be cap. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, it was just, I was like set back. It was like, really? And yeah, they go, yeah, you should be captain. And so I said, and Marcel says, you want the captain? You're the captain. I go, okay, but before I do anything here, before we go walk back into that dressing room, I want these two guys here to introduce me because I needed your support. And they were great. They were, you know, Gilbert and... Gilbert was Gilbert, I mean, but it, Jimmy Schoenfeld was, a, like I said, a warrior, a character, and they went and introduced me, and, you know, the rest was history. But. Yeah, that's the perfect way to do it. You're getting in, endorsed by one of the game's great leaders in Jimmy yeah, Schoenfeld. Yeah, the players. And, yeah. and yeah. Schoenfeld's the guy I got and to know. No, absolutely. So Shoney's the guy I got to know a little bit when I worked uh, in the American Hockey right. League, and the Rangers were uh, we were the Rangers affiliate, yep. and uh, uh, quite a guy and quite an endorsement for you. You're the captain of a team that is you're in the middle of an era, Danny, where basically only the Montreal Canadiens and the New York Islanders are winning the cup. It's an eight-year stretch, right? And right. you guys are are damn good. You're on the doorstep. You you got. You got every, it seems like you have all the pieces, but again, you're running into a, a real strange era in hockey. I had this conversation with Rick Middleton recently, and I said, you, know, you realize right. in, in your peak years, only two teams won the Stanley Cup. And, right. you know, the same with yourself. So talk a little bit about being a captain of a team that is uh, that is close, that it has high expectations, but doesn't quite get there and get back to the Stanley Cup finals again. You know, and Mark, I, when, when you say that, I look back, when I when we went to the finals, I thought it was going to happen every year. We were, we were that good of a team, okay? Mm-hmm. And then the next year, we had a few injuries. We run into the Montreal Canadiens, okay, like you say, okay? And they go on and win four or five straight ones. And then we're still a good team, and we, we, we just couldn't get over the hurdle. And sometimes it was injury. Sometimes it was just whatever, um, you know, a, a fluky goal here or there, like the Islanders, Burt Marshall's never scored a goal in three years against us, scores one in overtime late in the game. Mm-hmm. The Islanders knocks us out. I mean, it was just, it just seemed one thing after another. And then I really felt that what happened towards the end of my time in, in Buffalo when Punch got let go was that, you know, our team was fading, you know, the, the opposite way. As much as Punch, you know, built the team, which was unbelievable. We just didn't, you know, continue to 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 get to the next level when where the Canadians were drafting better, Islanders were drafting better, like guys like Trotje, Bossy. We took, you know, no disrespect to Rick Sealing, but you know, Bossy went after Rick Sealing. I mean, it happens, you know. Right. But um, it, it just didn't seem like we were moving in the direction, and I, you know, we were all frustrated, you know, when you're playing, you're working, you work out hard all year long to get we had good teams we made the playoffs every year i was a i was there with the mm-hmm. sabers right we had a number of 100 point seasons i mean i think we had 213 point i i haven't looked back and looked at stats but i know we were there all the time and that's the frustrating part is just getting it we lost a two out of three series when they used to play those all right to pittsburgh you know that was a disheartening uh George Ferguson, God rest his soul, just saw he passed away, went around Kenny Breton back another. And, it, you know, it just happens, you know, it just mm-hmm. happens. But, yeah, it was it was those those last few years. And then Scotty came, Bowman, and, 
you know, he wanted to do his deal, and I went to Detroit. So, yeah. Right. And speaking of Detroit, in uh, in 79-80, of course, you have a breakout season, your second 50-goal season, uh, 56 goals. And we haven't even talked about, because we don't have uh, forever to talk, we, the, the exciting circumstances of you having your first 50-goal season, 75-76, and going into the last game and uh, scoring three to get there. And unfortunately, Rick Martin needing one and not getting there. Right. But in 79-80... Yeah. You hit for 56 to tie for the league lead with Charlie Simmer and Blaine Stoughton. But during that 79-80 season, you play in the NHL All-Star game. And uh, the team picture, you look at the front row and you're there with uh, Gordie Howe. And yeah. I was talking to Norm Barnes recently, and he said he's never heard anything so loud as when Gordy was introduced at the, uh, at the rink. And uh, talk a little bit about that experience. That was awesome. It was awesome. And- and Gordy, I sat next to him in that game. It was like, and I, you know, I, I played against, I mean, I idolized him, obviously. And mm-hmm. I played against him in Hartford, you know, when he was with the Whalers. And, um, you know, here we're going into Joe Lewis. And I'm, I'm right, I'm sitting right next to him in the stall and just a, a classy guy. Um, and, and he gets an assist in his third star, but the place was rocking and, um, it was it was just you know Marcel Dion was on there were so many great names on that team Gilbert you know Donnie Edwards on our team I think uh, you know Sittlers and anyways Gordy was just I said to him you know I remember this in between one of the periods it's like me a younger guy I said Gordy you know I I just wanted to ask you my mom and dad are down at uh, the reception after with. Um, experience I've talked about it on the podcast previously where I worked in PR for the Hartford Whalers and then had the office next right. to next to Gordy and the series the, the the story you just told I, I saw play out so many times where we'd go out right. and with the alumni team and everywhere you, you would go and he was always uh, incredibly gracious he was funny as hell he was he was just a great guy and um, what a what a credit to the game and um I'm glad you had that experience to play. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Mark, a quick story because there was before the game in Nelson it was in July, and it was packed. So in Nelson, a little town, we had an autograph session outside the rink. Okay, and it goes up uh, Nelson Avenue, goes straight up the hill, like up a mountain. There were kids lined up all the way. I'll bet you five blocks. Okay, to get 
Gordy Howe, Greg Adams, Pat Bright, my, you know, local kids, Steve Tambellini, I think was there too, and mm-hmm. Ray Farrar, whatever. So, so we're signing these autographs. Okay. And that's really the first time I've ever been with Gordy about signing stuff. Okay. And he had the black marker and he's signing it and he's talking to kids and then the kids would have his hand like on the table. So he, he touched the kids with a marker on his fingers, so, you know, like put a black mark on his finger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, the kid, you know, the kid didn't have said anything. So he's done this about eight or 10 times now. Uh, the kids are 20 times ago. I said, Gordy, why are you doing that? So I know if they come back again, he goes, and get another autograph. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's yeah, funny. it was. It was good. <laughs> I didn't, that's rude. That's, I did not know that. That's, that's great. You, you, it, yeah. but, um, you had mentioned, yeah, of course. I was like, yeah. In, cool. in 1981, you played with another great team with the 1981 Team Canada team and unfortunately had a, uh, a less than perfect ending and a, a, a big loss to the Soviets. Uh, going yeah. into that season, of course, Scotty Bowman's on the scene now in Buffalo and one of the biggest trades in hockey recent history was, was sent uh, yourself and Jim Schoenfeld and Derek Smith and back the other way come Dale McCourt, Mike Foligno, Brent Peterson. Uh, so I've got to ask you, the captain of the team, you are a fan favorite. You're, you're, you love Buffalo, and you're traded to the Detroit Red Wings, a franchise that's in transition. And uh, so what is your reaction to that, that trade? Um, very, I kind of had a feeling it was after we lost the Russians, you know, and I was his captain coming back to Buffalo. Um he didn't, you know, we didn't have a lot of conversation, you know, communication. Scotty, you know, was trying to obviously do his own thing. And I think that losing that was it was hard for everybody because our team was so great. Like, uh, I mean, we never lost a game until that final game. And right. there was some, there were some issues and I won't get into that. But, um, but yeah, it was very difficult my dad had just passed away of Lou Gehrig's disease you know I, we buried him in the hmm. spring and uh, was, I was getting married um, yeah there were a lot of things uh, I had a t- loss of money with an agent so it was just really a tough time in my life but um, you know I stuck with it in Detroit when Mike Illich bought the team um, I was his first captain and Mike and Marion were outstanding people uh, great family and, you know, I was proud to be an original six captain. And I had, you know, guys like Jimmy Deblano, who was drafting very well at the time. Uh, they brought in two guys that sat next to me for about three years. On my right, 17 was Gerard Gallant. I was 18 and 19 was a guy named Steve Eisenman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those were building blocks. We went and made the playoffs back to back. First time in 20 years, I ended up, Again, my contract ran out a few years after that, and um, my back was bothering me a lot. So yeah, it was those those years were trying early years, but um, uh, eventually, you know, uh, things got turned around in Detroit, and fans loved you know the team, and they they went on to you know to do what they did with three cups. By Stevie got the C after I left, and he he, he knew what to do with it. So no question, uh, um, you know. They, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, uh, I guess, I guess it was the building blocks of, of the Illich era. And I was proud to be Mike and Marion's captain. They were, they were outstanding people. 
Right. That's good to hear. And as I said, those years, uh, you were starting to build a foundation. And you also, it, it was kind of a strange time, too, uh, for your, yourself. You've got a lot of veteran guys coming in over those years. The you know, Ron Duyay, right. Ivan Boldarev, Sittler, Park. You go on and on. Had, had yeah. a lot of a lot of big names. But for yourself, you're the captain. You're battling now uh, back injuries, which seem to be perpetual. Yeah. The team is struggling, building but struggling. So what, I, here's my question is that you're you're obviously in, in physical pain, the team's struggling. You've got to see what's it like to going out there every night, 80 nights a year, and um, pushing through that under those difficult circumstances. You, you know, Mark, the hardest thing is when, I guess, when you look at being on a team and as a captain with the great teams we had in Buffalo, okay? I mean referees gave you, you know, they all talked to you. They were your buddies. They were your pals, you know, teams, you know, you know, you knew you were going in, you could win against teams. When you went to, when I went to Detroit, that was totally opposite. Wow. It was like, what the hell just happened here? You know, <laughs> I know we were on a good team. No, I know we weren't a good team. They call us the dead wings for a couple. I mean, I get that. We weren't a good team, but why all of a sudden is Danny Gare now by Terry Fraser telling me, you can't talk to me anymore, and you'll kick you out of the game if you say another word. I go, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> you know, but that's that's part of the process sometimes. And, and right. I'm not, I'm not. I love Terry Fraser. Don't get wrong, but that that was just the way the game. You know, I saw another side. I guess is what I'm saying. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I couldn't believe that that's how it was, and, and it was. So I mean, you had to battle through that. It wasn't fun. It was probably the hardest captaincy, the work that I had to do to bring our team in and to lead by example. Uh, and that was the old Jack Norris or the Chuck Norris division is what I'm you saying. It was tough. No, I mean, it wasn't a fun era. Minnesota had a good team, you know, it was Toronto, but yeah, that was, those were tough years. But I guess when you, when you make the playoffs, when we did do that and, and you saw the youngsters coming up like Lane Lambert and Gerard Gallant Greg Stefan was a good kid. And there were other guys, you know, but I, Stevie, obviously, but, you know, and then they seemed to, they seemed to just take it to another level and, you know, they got more players and more draft picks and more trades and, and I was happy for them. I was just happy for them when they won those cups. Right. And after a brief stop at Edmonton, your career comes to conclusion. So in post-career, you did some very interesting things. A lot of uh, broadcasting work with the Sabres and community work that continues today. You helped originate that Tampa Bay Lightning franchise with Phil Esposito, uh, working in, in Columbus as well. But I was curious, Danny, when you first retired, 87 or so, uh, what is so your whole life has been devoted to this? You've played at the highest level. You've been a captain for two teams. You played internationally. What is that adjustment like? That 1987 fall, October, you're not going to training camp. Different. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is, and, and, and I think a lot. I'm sure the alumni that you that you've interviewed will say the same thing because there really was no, um, you know, there was there there was no process for you to prepare for, for retirement. Now the NHL alumni, which is great. I know our alumni, they have different, um, you know, symposiums you can go to, you know, you could talk about financial situations. You could talk about becoming maybe a broadcaster or a public speaker, all these things, because really 
when we when I left, you know, you didn't know what the hell to do. You know, I I, I was fortunate I got into broadcasting because you know, but there was nobody teaching you. You just think like, went in and talked and did what you had to do, and then I had a restaurant which was fun. But that those things, you know, come and go. And right. I was doing a number of jobs and. You just did what you had to do to survive a little because we didn't make the money a lot of these guys nowadays make. You just, you know, where they live, they can live off of lineage money for years, you know. Right. But I guess to me it was, it was, yeah, you miss the guys and I was raising a family. I was building a house out in, you know, in Buffalo and yeah, but it, I enjoyed being around my girls, my daughters. I enjoyed, you know, not having to go home to get my head beat in once in a while, which is kind of right. fun, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still a transition of the competitive spirit, I guess, is what you miss, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was probably the hardest, and the camaraderie of the guys, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you stay in contact yeah. with the guys in the Buffalo Sabres uh, because of your continued work uh, in and around the Sabres organization. In addition to that, you are a partner in a business that I find to be extremely interesting. Uh, one of the biggest mm-hmm. problems in, in in youth hockey, you talked right. before about being able to go out and skate in the ponds at all times. You know, if you right. you know if it was right. like a Sunday night at nine o'clock at night, you wanted to go out and skate, you could. Well, of course, these yeah. days the biggest problems with uh, the youth hockey situation, among uh, others, but in particularly, is uh, obviously lack of availability and the expense. So numerous companies have right. come out over the years with synthetic synthetic ice. Uh, solutions, and as technology continues to improve, uh, you right. are partnering in a company called Can Ice. And when I go to the website, and we have all the links uh, on our show notes. The word I'm uh-huh. the word that comes that rings a bell with me there is is glide. I mean, it seems pretty effortless. You're you're, you're gliding on the synthetic surface. It's a full ice surface, no less, yeah. and that could solve a lot of problems in a lot of places around the United States that lack that availability. And I can think of so many applications, but I don't need to tell you about your business. <laughs> Let's talk talk to me a little yeah. bit about Can Ice, how it got started, and um, where you're headed from yeah. here. No, no, and I appreciate that, Mark, because, you know, one of the things that um, my father, again, we I go back to my dad a lot um, in regards to what he did in his lifetime was when he brought the national ski team in to train uh, in, in Nelson because they had great ski areas. They used to train in Portillo, uh, Chile, and he, he went up and did an escalation with engineers and the in the Kokanee Glacier, I remember going up, I was nine years old with engineers and looking at the, you know, scaling and how the snow was and how, how the, you know, the depths and the, and the um, runs were long enough. So in saying that, he took a skate with a laying skate, he took a laying ski boot, and I remember him downstairs in his basement cutting them, you know, the, around, because uh, he was a defenseman, he was cutting around to put a, a blade on it, you know, on a laying mm-hmm. ski boot. And that's how the Lang skate started. I used to wow. wear them. So he was a visionist in that, you know, that mind that he had. So I guess this is kind of where I'm at with my life because I always wanted to, to help. And he always was the one that wanted to develop the game and, and help the game. He, he And I'm in the same regard and, and where I'm at in my life, I guess, because it's done so much for me. But in, in saying that, I, I synthetic ice has been around for a long time. It was even around when I played, but... I think uh, I was fortunate to meet uh, uh, my partner, Mike McGraw, who was from here in Tampa. Mm-hmm. And Mike plays hockey, gentleman hockey. He's been in the sports servicing business for over 40 years. He's done turf. He's done all all kinds of, you know, different 
sports surfaces, and, he, and this synthetic ice product came across us from Norway. So we used it for, I don't know, four or five years learning. I was learning how, how it, you know, it responded to skates, you know, to, to the glide, the puck movement, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was ready, actually, to be honest with you, we were, I was ready to dump it about three years ago until I ran into a, a gentleman right here in Tampa at Phil Esposito's golf tournament in Longbow Key. And, and he's sitting there and um, he says, what do you do? He says, you know, you golf tournaments. He says, well, I'm in the plastics business. I says, you really? I said, well, you, you know, what? We're over in, in Largo, uh, Florida. I says, well, what type of stuff? He says, oh, we do widgets for GM and some other stuff, this and that. And I said, well, you ever done synthetic ice? He goes, you know, it's funny you say that. You know, we've had some inquiries. But he says, we've got this product, he says, we put on the bed of asphalt trucks. Mm-hmm. So when it, the lift goes up, it slides off. The asphalt fl- slides off it real easy. I said, really? That's interesting. He goes, yeah, why don't you come over? We'll put some panels down and bring your skates and see what you think about it. So long story short, I go over there in a couple of weeks. And, and Mark, I'm telling you, the stuff that, I mean, I, I'll do respect to our competitors, you know, mm-hmm. but when you push off, uh, if you it's if you push off on the other stuff, I'd go three feet. Okay, right. I pushed off on this stuff. I went fifteen feet. Mm-hmm. It's how it's manufactured. One that most of the synthetic ice is ejection molded, so it's not hard, so you can't get the glide. And and this is heat plant press. This is like push tons of pressures on the polymer. So I couldn't believe this. And now we're like excited as hell about it. I mean, we've done institutional rinks. We did our first rink in Old Bridge, New Jersey. It was a seasonal rink. They, they love it. I've got Sidney Crosby using it as a training center and area in the summertime. Jonathan Taves uses it. I mean, these guys don't have to go to the rink. They'll go on the rink when they want, but they do all their stick handling, all their shooting skills, their inside-outside edges. You know, it's just, it's just a, a real cool product, and, and I'm really excited. Hockey Canada is endorsing it because they believe it helps develop young kids. Man, I wish I had it when I was a kid because you could you could put this you put this in your basement. I've done it with so many people. My brother has it for his son. They put it and they can go down anytime, anyway, three hundred sixty five days a year and practice whatever they want to do. And they don't need ice. You know, they can do this on their own. So yeah. It's been really, really neat product. So No question. And the, and the number of applications of course are endless and I because of yeah. the community work that we've done here in Massachusetts, for example, you see a lot of kids who yeah. Uh, yeah. maybe are not economically as advantaged or don't have the access to the ice, and this is uh, yeah. a perfect entree to them to hockey. Now you can actually learn learn to skate and actually learn the, the uh, learn the game uh, in a in synthetic ice, simula- simulating the the actual ice without. All the expense you need a two-parent household to, you know, get you to cart you around at five o'clock in the morning to rinks here, rinks there. Now I can see this, you know, being available to making the game of hockey uh, a lot more available to a wider demographic throughout the United States, Canada, totally. and the world. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I mean, any we do a lot of. I'm doing some work with inner city projects in Buffalo right now. Okay because there's kids that don't have the ability because of the cost, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. to, to, to skate, to the game that, or enjoy skating. I mean, how's that? And, and we take it into school systems. We, it's very mobile. You can pick it up and drop it off and, or store it, whatever. We're doing stuff in Chicago parks, um, Denver. And, and, and even like now, Tampa's, you know, I just sold a rink of Vinnie LeCavillet for his son. Oh, I mean, wow. it's, 
these areas of warm too is perfect for like in Dallas we've done some stuff and, and it's just it's just a matter of time for kids to have the opportunity because of you like you said ice time's expensive and rinks are expensive to build right I mean they're I mean you can't build a rink under 10 million dollars and you can do a rink our size our ice surface on a rink for under four hundred thousand dollars so I mean it just to me the cost is great but again it's exposing the game and, and and having fun skating and doing things that you know for me a hockey player outdoor rinks we used to go you talked about you know the ponds and this and that but this is part of in in, in the age of 2020 that i think with technology and the, and the way you know the game can be exposed to people that have not been exposed to and even the ones that are they can do it anytime they want if they're i call them keeners you want to go downstairs or out in your backyard you can skate anytime, do whatever you want, and you don't need to be driven to the ice rink, you know. Right. No excuses. So, get off your phone. Get off the front right, of the TV right. and get down there and, and, and play. So We're I'm excited. to have to get stuff for your son, I think, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking right off the bat. That's exactly what I'm thinking about. But um, yeah. first of all, I'm, I'm excited yeah. about I'm excited about Can Ice, and we'll keep an eye on that. And certainly, we will uh, have all the appropriate links in the the notes on the website yeah, for this this, this podcast perfect. and. I uh, just wanted to conclude by saying thanks so much. Had a lot of respect for you as a player. Uh, just tough, real leader, and it was great to have an opportunity to talk about uh, your career and about Can Ice. And we look forward to talking to you again soon, Denny. Well, thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. It was good chatting with you. I must say you do your homework. You're very well prepared. My dad would like you. <laughs> the ultimate compliments. <laughs> Ernie, Ernie Garcia <laughs> approval. But, uh, Denny, thanks yeah. so much, and I appreciate it. But right. We'll talk again. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. If you enjoy listening to the show, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. This helps make our podcast more visible and accessible to hockey fans around the world. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, please contact me at prohockeyalumni.org or via social media at Pro Hockey Alumni. The Pro Hockey Alumni greatly appreciates your support.